0: For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code Bridge10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from, just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles. Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And Kai Davis. Hey, hey, hey. And I'm Ruven Lerner, and we are going to talk this week about outreach to new clients, or to potential clients, I should say, who we hope will be new clients. So um, how, how can we set this up? Jonathan, you've, you've been doing some amazing outreach lately. So why don't you like define the problem space a bit? And we can try to
2: okay.
1: narrow down a bit more.
2: Sure, I have to start off by saying Kai is the person who taught me the word outreach in the first place. So all of this is all of this is things I learned from Kai. So I'm sure we're going to get uh, uh, get it straight from the horse's mouth after this. But I will tell you at least my story. Um, lately, I've been doing um, uh, outreach to credit unions for my mobile consulting business. So it's almost almost as an exercise to take my own advice, uh, I've been um, sort of systematically and on a daily basis uh, getting to know and connect with this audience of potential buyers out there. So I I see it, what I've been doing, I think had a couple of big steps to it that I'll just just kind of like try and outline quickly and then we can drill in or Kai can comment or we can move wherever. But uh, my first step was to pick... An audience that I wanted to reach out to, so for me that was credit unions, and we could talk about why I picked them. But that's the one I picked, and then I even went further down and I said, well, I want to pick the credit unions that are that are um, a direct flight from my hometown, so I don't have to do like you know because I'll probably have to fly to clients. Uh, it's not uncommon for me to have to fly to clients, so I picked Chicago and Atlanta because I can get direct flights from province to both of those cities. Uh, relatively cheaply and and at last minute notice and I have lots of friends in both of those cities because I used to work in one and I used to live in the other so once I had that focus it was really easy for me to go online and just get a list of credit unions that existed in 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 the metro area not I mean in the actual city not even surrounding areas but uh, I got a list of 87 credit unions that are were all different sizes in those two places, and I just started going down the list, getting I, I filled in the list with key pieces of information like how many you know amount of assets under management, uh, number of full time employees, number of members, and and then I would just quickly look at their website. Uh, actually, I didn't do that for the I did all of that for the whole list, uh, which was easy, you know, with uh, some online searching. Uh, and then I would go individually and I'd say, okay, let me just start at the top of the list and I'm going to see who's the chief marketing officer of AAA Atlanta Credit Union. And I created a just a default like Google link that searched for person, uh, credit union name plus CMO and LinkedIn. And it would take me right to the person or someone similar and I would you know, view their activity feed and so on and so forth. I would start connecting with these people. And over time I got to a point where, uh, I think it was four weeks ago at this point where every business day I would connect with one person in the, uh, target market and I would connect with them in a variety of different ways depending on what I knew about them. So I might comment on a a post that they had or i might direct message them on linkedin and say hey uh, i thought that was really interesting what you guys did there uh, it's amazing the, that your, that your that your mobile apps have been rated four stars since the very beginning uh, is there you know have you ever blogged about that so that smaller credit unions could benefit from your expertise so it kind of i'd just connect with them and start a conversation so sort of get to know them let them get to know me in some cases i sent more pointed email it was kind of like you know i'm a mobile consultant i've worked with some really big brands uh, in the retail space I'm focused on credit means now is mobile you know is mobile going to be a big uh, focus for you strategically in 2018 or uh, would it move the needle for you guys if if uh, mobile engagement went up among your members those sorts of things so it's sort of uh all over the map and not very not very easy to teach, I guess. It's hard to explain because everything is super duper customized for each person. Um, but usually just short messages that usually uh, take me like 10, 15 minutes tops per day. And it really starts to get conversations going. I've been getting introduced to a lot of people. I've had a few sales calls come out of this. Um, nothing's closed yet, but it's definitely... You know, last week I sent out two proposals in the same day, which I think I've never done in my entire 10 plus years of being a consultant. So it definitely is shaking things up and and getting conversations started and putting me on the radar of the people in my target market. Uh, But I haven't closed any deals yet.
1: So, so Jonathan, let me just like take a step Mm -hmm. or two back here. Like I I hear your story and I've been like following on your mailing list and I think, wow, like I want to get new clients It seems obvious that I should be able to reach out to them online, right? Like we got the internet. It works pretty well overall. Um, (laughs) and, but it seems to me like quite frankly, science fiction that I can reach out to people online and they will not see me as either like a scammer or a spammer. And so Kai, what, what is, is it possible? I mean, Jonathan's proof that it's possible. You're proof that it's possible also, but like, What should be our goals? How do we do this? And, and like, how do we not come off as sleazy people?
3: You're, you're asking the million dollar question. I want to circle back for a second and say for anybody listening, the process Jonathan outlined for identifying the people he wants to contact in his target market and then stimulating conversations with them, a plus perfect. You could run with that in your own target market. It is a great playbook to follow, but uh Ruben raises the right question, like, how do we prevent people from having that uh, reaction when they get an email from us? How do we not come off as a spammer? How do we not fall into the trap of dear webmaster, dear site owner, and make sure that our outreach is relevant and focuses on building a relationship? And it's really that building a relationship aspect that I found time and time again separates okay or mediocre outreach campaigns from excellent outreach campaigns when we're focused first and foremost on stimulating a conversation with somebody who is qualified and in our target market with the goal of building a relationship with them that relationship might take the form of a project today it might take the form of a relationship for six to 12 months that then turns into a project it may take the form of a referral to another person who needs a project or you can nurture and turn into a project but By focusing first and foremost on building a relationship, it changes the mindset with which we approach outreach. You can move it from, hey, I'm going to blast out a thousand emails and see if I get any responses to like Jonathan is doing. "Okay, I'm going to highly qualify these people. Let me see what assets they have. Let me see what size they are. Let me do a visual qualification of their site. Let me find the contact information. Let me write a personalized message to them. The output of this is a personalized message to somebody who's relevant and in the target market. The message is providing value or at least stimulating that conversation. And from there, you're able to carry it forward like you would a normal conversation. And if you surface a pain, steer it in the direction of, hey, you're having this pain or problem. Do you need any help with that? If you don't, you could use it as a market research opportunity. But high level, and we could get into the tactical application of this, high level, I think, if we focus on stimulating a conversation with the end goal of building a relationship, We have the best outcomes possible when it comes to outreach. And we avoid that sort of flight response people could have when they receive our emails.
1: Okay. So you've you've already clarified something for me, which is useful. And that's because I actually tried to do some outreach, I guess it was about a year ago. Um, I was going to be in Belgium and I knew there were a whole lot of high tech companies there because I'd seen them next to uh, where I was doing some training. I thought, oh, well, I'm going to find a whole bunch of companies in this area of Belgium who do python and i'm gonna like find them through linkedin i even paid for like the paid linkedin uh, navigator so on and so forth and i said okay so i'm gonna find i found like those five companies and i sent them a message on linkedin and say, and and we can talk about like what i said and why it was so unsuccessful because that at least i've sort of figured out but you to be saying don't see this as an email blast to lots of people see this as like one at a time, or maybe a handful at a time, trying to create that relationship, trying to talk to new people. Um, It has to be very specific, individualized, and um, personal for it to work. Did I get that right?
3: Absolutely. I'd say the one caveat I'd add is, As you get more experienced with outreach, you're able to add on different elements that allow you to approach it as a one-to-many rather than a one-to-one marketing strategy or marketing system that allows you to say, well, I have 50 or 100 people on my list. Let me contact them using the system, do automated follow-up. And at that point, sort of outreach at scale starts to make sense. But as you're getting started, as you're doing your first few outreach campaigns, as you're focusing on a new target market, the more personalized you can make your outreach and the more relevant you can make it to the recipient, the better results you'll see. And on those early campaigns, you want to see those better results, even if it's just for a handful, five, 10, 20 people you've contacted in a month, because that gives you the motivation to keep moving forward with outreach.
2: Yeah, it would be too much work for me to do a a big one-to-one thing, like all in one day, but doing it, on a daily basis is really, uh, not that hard. Um, I, I put a little reminder in my, uh, I've got an app called productive that is like this to-do list that comes back every day. And one of the things in there is do outreach. So I'm like, oh, I gotta cross this off my list. And once you get a streak going in there, then you don't want to break the streak. So like there, there are nights when it's like almost midnight I'm like, oh, I didn't do outreach yet. Um, I'll schedule something in boomerang to go out the next morning to somebody. Mm-hmm. There's a step I skipped uh, mentioning that, that Ruben's question about how to not be perceived as a spammer or scammer uh, reminded me of, which is that before I started the outreach campaign, I, I, I imagined that as I was pinging these people, mostly over LinkedIn, because that's a good place to reach the kind of people that I'm looking to reach, I wanted to make sure. Yeah, I figured, you know, who, who the heck is this guy? And they'll probably click on my profile. Maybe they'll click through to my website. So one thing I did do in preparation for this was make sure that my website and profile were 100% relevant to the people who would be clicking through. So when they do click through, it's not like, you know, some generic site of like, you know, I help smart people solve hard problems and make elegant solutions with blah, blah, blah. You know, like the headline on my site is, you know, something like I help credit unions increase member engagement, full stop. Like, okay, if that's, and that's going to be of interest to the CMO of a credit union. It's like, definitely. So, and if it's not, that's not a good client for me because there's nothing I can do for them. So I, you know, I echoed that, that sentiment in my uh, LinkedIn bio. So if, you know, you just immediately see any place you see my face in a list on LinkedIn, it says I help credit unions with mobile engagement. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, that's pretty clear. And it's been, um, so that was, I think that I imagine, I don't know this, but I imagine that that has been, actually, I do know this because some people have, have reflected back to me that the the website was just totally speaking their language and that I actually made them laugh because I was inside their heads. But, you know, that was a, that's a, a step that I think I don't, I don't know other than some small feedback, I don't know for sure that that. helps but i'm pretty sure it does because if people are going to investigate you at all then that's where they're going to
3: go yeah especially when you're doing linkedin focused outreach which i have strong opinions on and i think you are doing correctly when you're doing linkedin focused outreach making sure that there's coherence between the messages you're sending to people you're contacting cmos of credit unions okay we need to back up a step well what are they going to experience your profile headline your bio there any links there make sure that again, there's that coherence between the messages. If you had your LinkedIn page saying, Hey, I help developers, uh, ditch hourly billing, the CMO would be like, why, what? Yeah. Yeah. So there's also an element that I think is important to point out. A large part of this process that you've gone through is building a leads list and then qualifying that leads list. And you go through a very, uh, uh, productive qualification process to make sure you're contacting the right people. But when it comes to building that initial leads list, I think you did the right thing in saying, well, we're asking the question, where are the people I want to contact, these CMOs of credit unions, where are they spending time online? And the correct answer is LinkedIn. And so by focusing your outreach in that area, you're automatically where your client already is. Podcasts, which is one of my preferred outreach methods, may not be the right way to reach this audience. Likewise, uh, uh, cold emails themselves might not be the right way. But because you're going after a target market that is spending their time on LinkedIn, it makes sense to use LinkedIn to build this database and use this initial use as the initial outreach sort of method or modality to stimulate that conversation. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, it, it wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't think LinkedIn is good for all outreach to all target markets. It just happens to mm-hmm. be that this is a, a good fit. Uh, another thing about uh, based on Reuben's question uh, or back to Reuben's question about not feeling spammy, there is if you believe that what you have to offer is actually valuable to the people that you're seeking to help, you know, your ideal buyer, then it feels a lot less bad to reach out to them. You know, it's like, it's like, look, this person might be dying for somebody like me to come along. You know, maybe they don't know what to search for. Maybe they haven't thought to search of it, uh, to search for it. Maybe they have, a million options and it's just, they have analysis paralysis. It, it could mm-hmm. be, you know, if you believe in the value of your offering, which I do, then it doesn't really make me feel that bad to say, look, you know, you, you know, look like an ideal client of mine. You would be an ideal client for me. And I believe that, that, uh, my retainer offering, for example, is, suits your situation, your current situation really well. So if you'd be interested in, in seeing if there's a good fit, just shoot back a yes, and we can schedule something and talk about it. Uh, if not, no big deal. I'm not going to try and change their mind.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect mindset to go into it with. If you, When it comes to outreach, you need to be okay with the no. You need to, I think, even seek out the no. Give people permission to say a no back because Mm -hmm. it's it's clarity inducing if somebody says no to one of your outreach emails well a at least you got a response which is better than it could often be and b okay they've said no now at least we have a dialogue going and explore the why behind the no. Hey, Joe, you're the CM of this credit union. Completely understand that. Can you tell me a little more about why? Do you have somebody internal already tackling this? Is this not a priority? And you're able to surface whatever that objection is and then improve your outreach, overcome that objection or discover, oh, that's a legitimate reason. They already have an internal team tackling this. It's just taking enterprise time to roll out and it's gonna happen in another year. Great, doesn't seem like I could necessarily help them solve that problem on to the next person but it gives you more information so i love seeking out either that yes or that no it's that no response that lack of a response that's always hard for me and one of the reasons why i typically shy away from linkedin-based outreach just because the follow-up process on linkedin can be very challenging i know there's a number of tools and services that aid with this beyond linkedin sales navigator or uh, professional uh, premium services but I'm a big fan of consistent follow-up and outreach just because if they didn't see your first email because they were out of the office or there was a fire to put out that day, it's nice to be able to follow up three or five or seven days later, nudge that topic back to the top of their inbox, provide more value, share an interview, a presentation, a white paper, something. And it's harder to do that on LinkedIn than it is through direct email. but linkedin can work again for the right audience if they're spending time there to cut through the noise and access a less busy inbox of theirs
2: yeah that's a great point i don't really benefit from any kind of i'm I'm not at a point where i could automate any of this anyway because Mm -hmm. honestly what you just said about market research is super relevant because as i was going down this list of of credit unions of sort of arbitrarily uh, you know going alphabetically more or less so the sizes from one to the next could vary dramatically, from you know fifty million dollars in assets to two hundred uh, or or two billion in assets. Mm-hmm. Big big difference. I mean, we're talking about you know hundreds or or you know 500, 600, 700, 800 employees versus ten, two. Mm-hmm. You know, so big big difference between the size of the organizations. And one of my initial hypotheses was that credit unions that it had a really bad app or didn't have a mobile app or had a a desktop-only, a.k.a. mobile hostile website would be the ones that I would be able to help the most. But as it turns out, or I'm starting to learn, th- the fact that somebody in 2017 has a terrible mobile experience usually it seems like it doesn't mean that they, it, it seems like they just don't value it. Like they're just mm-hmm. not going to like, they're a, actually a bad client because for some reason they have decided for many years to not do that, not invest in that where on the, on the other side you get huge credit unions that have an amazing mobile experience. And, and in fact, those are the ones who have hired me in the past to help them make something already good, a you know a little bit better, because they do value it. They know it's there. They know they have budget for it, and uh, <clears throat> that was just an interesting piece of kind of information that I learned. Sort of doing this outreach in a manual way, not outsourcing it to somebody on Fiverr, actually doing mm-hmm. it myself, and and interacting with these folks, and noticing things like. Uh, like I'm describing, you know, assets, number of branches, quality of mobile application. It's a, it's a very educational process for me, and it's starting to direct the uh, the course of who I choose from that list to reach out to next. So I, where before I would, you know, if some credit union just had you know a couple million dollars in assets and a horrible mobile app. Before, that would have been at the top of my list. Now, I'm kind of like, mm, yeah, I don't think so.
3: No, and I think that's an underrated jump of a statement right there. Uh, uh, for any listeners, I highly recommend pulling that out. The fact that a prospect already has invested or already has a good experience with whatever it is you provide, SEO, mobile optimization, mobile apps, whatever – I, too, used to take it as sort of a disqualifying sign if I found a prospect and, oh, they already were doing X really well, they must not need my services. But similar to your story, Jonathan, what I discovered was if they're already doing X really well, there's probably some parts of X that they have questions about or pains around or they just aren't sure about. And so reaching out to people who even look like, oh, they have it figured out and saying, hey, your SEO looks great or, hey, your mobile app is really solid do you have any questions or what's next or how could I help take this to the next level for you can often result in a positive relationship because it's people who are saying, well, we've got 90% of it. The last 10% we just can't figure out. We need an expert. But if we flip it around, the type of prospect who has a terrible mobile app, well, Coming in, you might be able to help them, but it might be a hair on fire situation. It might be a oh, this isn't a strategic priority, even though we're spending money on it, or it might be a oh, it's going to sit in development heck for all time and never actually ship. So, optimizing to focus on people who are already looking like they're doing it well within your target market and seeing if they need any assistance can actually be an incredibly valuable system to use as you're doing outreach.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's you know, you doesn't matter how much. Time I spent thinking about it, sort of pontificating, like, Oh, what, what could I do for you know it's you're just never gonna think of the stuff that comes out of people's mouths via email and and dms just like, mm-hmm. oh wow, and you just never would have thought of that. you know, like somebody has an amazing uh mobile application for mobile mobile banking application and and then a completely different department inside of the organization who doesn't have the same resources as perhaps a uh uh, the mobile the primary mobile people who are responsible for the mobile app be like oh we 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 organizationally we recognize that mobile is a huge big deal and if you know we'd be sunk without our mobile app exact quote then uh, we want to extend that to either making a rewards program that's mobile friendly right now we don't have that or making a loan application process mobile-friendly. We use a third party for that, and we don't know how to fix their junky process that's desktop only. Or we want to enhance the in-branch retail experience with mobile. How, what, what could we do? Let's have an innovation workshop that would we'll figure out that we can brainstorm and come up with some ways that we could enhance the in-branch experience for people who are carrying smartphones. So mm-hmm. like, I would never would have never thought of any of that. This is this is great, but I,
1: I I I'm still so it's clear that you went through a whole qualification process, some of which, like you said, I your your ultimate goal here is obviously you want to find a handful of credit unions because you don't need more than that number per year, presumably who will be mm-hmm. clients for say a year, and they will come to you as a mobile expert because they want to improve mobile. Okay, that's great. And so you went through this whole qualification process of finding such companies. Okay, great. And people at those companies, fine. And, and you've then gotten to this point where you are talking to them, whether via email or messaging or even phone. Heavens to Betsy, using the phone. Um, and, but like, and, and it sounds like you're having great conversations. And then that's feeding back into a loop, teaching you who you can talk to, what their needs are even better. So that's great in terms of positive feedback loop. But I feel like there's something missing there, which is, okay, you identified people, and then you're talking to them. What did you send to them that made them say, oh, this Jonathan – and I understand that your website now is appropriate and your LinkedIn uh, you know, uh, headline is appropriate. All oh, that's great. But what did you send to them that made them say, yeah, I'm going to talk to this guy? Not, oh, my God, it's a Ukrainian software company trying to get me <laughs> to do stuff. I have nothing against Ukraine of the Ukrainians out there. But really, really, you guys gotta put a stop to this. Anyway, so what, what did what did you <laughs> email <thing. laughs> I'll give them a LinkedIn. So what did you say to them that excited them rather than turn them off?
2: Yeah, this well see this is the hard part to teach because it's different in every single case. So the 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 generic answer is I got to know them well enough to ask them something smart or give them a smart compliment or point them in a smart direction. So there's no like one answer. I don't have a, I had a template, but I'm like, this isn't going to work. You know, it, it occasionally I use it, but it always feels lame as soon as I press send and I've Mm -hmm. never gotten a response to one, even though it's personalized, but it's just not, it's not right. It's not personalized enough. It's not like my brother sending me an email. I want it to feel like I'm somebody's brother contacting them about a thing they need to know about. And it might not be about me it it probably isn't, so it might be that I, you know I can think of one example, you know senior vice president of a big credit union uh, he shared an article on LinkedIn that I loved, and that I, a lot of people share a lot of articles that really make me roll my eyes uh, but this this particular one was really smart and but you know this guy's a marketing guy inside of. Credit Union. I'm a an outside consultant who specializes in mobile, and there was an overlap in the article. And coincidentally enough, this guy also used to work at a newspaper, which is uh, also in my past. And you know, my dad for an, his entire adult life worked at our local newspaper. I cleaned presses during the summers, so I'm totally a newspaper kid. And so it was really easy. Like I said, oh wow, you know I, that that post you shared was great. Uh, I can see that we have a lot of the same, um, interests and I don't know about you, but I see the credit unions going the way of the newspapers and I know, you know what that's like. So what do you say we jump on a phone call and compare notes and see if we can potentially do something about, you know, just compare war stories and see if we can help each other avoid this, what we both probably perceive as a tragic event. And the guy totally was like, yeah, let's do it.
3: All right. So that's what, that's what I perfect. love about that. Oh, sorry. oh, no, no, you, please. You first.
1: What, what what I love about that story. Well, first of all, I think it's somewhat unique. But what I love about the story is that it was clear that there was a mutual value proposition here, right? It was clear that you that he was going to get something out of this conversation. And it's totally OK that you were going to get something out of it, too, because if, if you have a conversation, fine. But if you end up helping him, well, I mean, like, that, that's great for everyone.
0: Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android. And all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid, on average, five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says, pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Yeah.
2: I, I mean, it was totally unique, but I have 10 more that are totally unique that went the same way. So it's like, there's another one where where I got on the phone with somebody who... I can't even remember all the, it was unbelievable. So he he calls me from his car. This guy had been the the president and CEO of a credit union for 10 years. He, before that, he was for 20 years, the head of a regulatory body for credit unions. Before that, he was head of the, like the regional, there are like these regional, um, Oh, what are they called? I should know this. This is the kind of stuff you're supposed to memorize, but, uh, it's like a regional kind of education. It's kind of like a chamber of commerce for credit unions. Uh, before that he was a state Senator who was on the banking committee. I mean, this guy was so connected and he was so, so, um, knowledgeable. It was unbelievable. And, and it just so happened. He and I are from the same state and it's a small state. So, I reached out to him. I said, Hey, I, I'm a mobile consultant. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I would like to have a bigger impact on the credit union industry. I'm really I'm up against a brick wall here and you just have an amazing, uh, life experience. And I know it would be really valuable to me. Uh, it, it would be super, your, your life experience would be super valuable. Uh, if we could jump on a phone call, even if it was just for 10 minutes, I know it would just like change my life, you know? So I, I, I actually thought a long time about how to word that. And I did it a lot better in the message than I just did. But really what I was saying was your life experience is valuable to someone. And and, you know, this guy's retired at this point. So I I'll be willing to bet he doesn't get a lot of chance to talk about his legacy or his like this vast knowledge and experience that he has to share with the world, but no one cares, you know, you know, he's like retired so he doesn't get the chance to talk about it he's probably you know he's he was on his way to a grandkids thing He probably just like he's grandpa now so somebody comes along and is like look i you know i'm a, i'm still in the game i'm still like fighting the fight down on the ground i would love it if you could share some of your life experience and he was like and then after the phone call he was like call me anytime. That's wonderful. every yeah there's talk there's like five more of these that I could rattle off where like I can't believe that this per- like I can believe it now, but Reuben can't believe that people will actually set, you know jump on a phone call with you after meeting you virtually on LinkedIn like an hour ago, but they do
3: and I think one one of the critical distinctions I think that might be at play here is you aren't leading off in any way of a pitch other than a pitch of. You, dear recipient, are an expert. Here's how a conversation could be of value to you. Are you available for a phone call, essentially? Boiling it down to like the quick TLDR of the message. I've seen those work very, very well because you aren't immediately pitching. You aren't saying, hey, I could tell you a mobile strategy session for your credit union for $15,000 in the first LinkedIn message. The first thing is the conversation. Sure. That, that, that seems the first to thing be- is a conversation. Yeah, I don't. Uh,
2: so here's the thing that started happening because I, I was getting a lot more success with in terms of stimulating conversation. I think Kai said, in mm-hmm. in terms of stimulating conversations, I was having a lot more success. Just like being acting like somebody's brother or buddy, be like, hey, I don't know, if you, you know, you, you probably have already seen this link, but you should check it out. It'd be it'd be perhaps something. Uh, you know, some virtual reality thing that might be interesting to somebody who's a real forward thinker uh, in retail branches, something, whatever you, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so easy. you. You can see people's activity stream. You can see what they like. You can see what they're sharing. You can find stuff that you agree with or disagree with, or have a different angle on. And just, just imagine that that person is your brother or your sister or somebody in your family or your, your college roommate and send them a note like that. And yep. You know, you're not going to sell them anything, of course. But so what's been starting to happen is I think it's because my value proposition is so clearly defined on my website and on my profile and in my activity feed that I'll just reach out to somebody like that and they'll be like, I need to introduce you. to. I know somebody that I have to introduce you to. And... And instead of even, you know, instead of imagining that the person who I'm reaching out to is going to end up being my client, I'm really just getting on their radar and my positioning is so clear that they can immediately have a Rolodex moment and they're like, oh, I know somebody that needs to hire you. You guys have to talk. And this has happened half a dozen times to me also.
3: Yep. Yeah. Same experience for me in a way I always think that it's like a hub and spoke model where the person we're initially contacting is a hub they have their own network and we're Mm -hmm. stimulating a conversation and building a relationship with them and it may turn into a paying project with them but it also becomes an opportunity to demonstrate value share information make yourself known and available to them so when they have a colleague who says "Ah, i really need an expert on you know improving our mobile experience as it works with our credit union they're like I know Jonathan Stark, can I refer you to Jonathan Stark? And you suddenly have these essentially evangelists who know what you do, understand the value you're able to provide, understand that you're focused on understanding the industry, not just simply pitching to immediately win a deal. And it all boils down to, I think, a robust system for people driving work and driving interest and driving leads to you.
2: Mm. I, I think the, the positioning statement though is critical because yes. what I'm really doing is kicking up word of mouth and mm-hmm. it's really hard to start word of mouth if people can't easily in like a a tiny sentence articulate what i do
3: mhm mhm
2: so dear listener okay. if, if you can't even articulate what you do then it's going to be really hard for never mind strangers your your family and friends to recommend you to anyone because they don't really understand what you do
3: so i ever told that uh, oh sorry
2: yeah no go ahead i Go
3: ahead. Have I ever told the uh, terrible story about that exact experience? No, I don't, I really don't think really so. Really no. Uh, uh, this this was a few years ago, about five years ago. There was a startup locally I was working with who had bought up like 30 to 40 hours of my time each week, essentially like full time consulting with them for a year, year and a half. And about a year into it, I sit down with my contact, the chief marketing officer, and I say, "Hey, you know what? It's great working with you. I love a testimonial slash case study to feature on my website." And she sits there for a couple of seconds. She's like, I know you're invaluable. I know there's no way we could have done any of the things we've done over the last year. Without <laughs> you. I have no clue how to describe what you do or how you help. And I'm like, I have no <laughs> easy solution to this. <laughs> and it's true. Like, because I didn't have a clear positioning statement, because I wasn't able to clearly articulate my value, nobody else could. And when it came to asking for referrals or just building on that relationship, the lack of a clear positioning statement hindered me dramatically.
2: Mm. It's rough. Mm-hmm.
3: But yeah, in terms of outreach, I think under even just understanding that positioning statement for yourself, it doesn't need to be on a website necessarily. It doesn't need to be across all your marketing materials. Understanding that this is the target market I'm going after. This is the problem they're experiencing. It's really... A marketing exercise because it lets you easily slice your outreach list or your leads list down to, okay, these are the best prospects. If you were saying, hey, I'm going to, you know, anybody in the mobile space or anybody in the credit union space, you're going to be getting a much, much lower positive rate of return on your outreach. But by being so focused on a qualified list of people who match specific criteria, It allows you to say, well, these are the best people for me to contact. They match my positioning exactly. And you have that virtuous cycle of people saying, oh, great, let's get on a call. Oh, I know people I need to connect you to. Without that positioning statement, it falls apart on both the qualification side and the lead list side and the outreach side.
1: Okay, so you find some qualified leads, you reach out to them, you have this amazing statement, and then they don't get back to you. Is that to be expected? Mm -hmm. Is that because like, I I wrote to these again these five people in Belgium and granted I think I think uh, one or both of you mentioned to me this book that I then recommended uh, selling to big companies and I remember yeah reading through that book and I got through about page two and I said oh my god I made all the mistakes and I'm only on page two so I realized that my <laughs> my my message was far far from from perfect but I literally got no responses from about half a dozen companies how many companies do you need to get to before you can expect to get a response of any sort. And I know Kai, you're big on following up. How long do you then follow up before you just sort of let them
3: go? You're asking two really good questions there. In terms of the first one, how many people do you need to contact before you get a response? It's another one of those varies depending on the campaign and target market. Uh, Typically I'd say like for a coaching student or somebody I'm working with on an outreach campaign, we need to contact somewhere between let's say 20 and 40 people, and if we've gotten zero responses, even a zero no responses after that time, something is broken in our targeting, our messaging, our qualification process, something is broken there. But I'd aim for 40-ish people that you're contacting before you say, whoa, outreach is not working here. In terms of how you say often response, to follow up. And,
1: and the response like can please? be a no. So I just, I don't want to say, and a response can be a no. It doesn't mean, yes, I can't wait to work with you. Just any response is a response, yeah?
3: Any response is a response saying, no, this is not a good fit. Hey, great. At least we know this isn't a good fit. And we can unpack why it isn't a good fit. Uh, They don't have the budget. They aren't looking to make this investment. They don't match the target market, any number of reasons. But until we get that, no, it's sort of that no man's land of, well, we haven't heard back yet what we do to encourage the conversations to further stimulate it. I like following up between four and six times for a prospect who I haven't heard back yet from So I'll pre-write, say, four email messages, the first message and say, okay, if they don't respond to this in a week, I want to follow up with them. Let me pre-write the second message. I might rewrite it when I send it to them, adapting that template on the fly. But at least I've removed, say, 70% of the work of coming up with that message on the spot when I know a week has passed and I haven't heard back from them. So I'll have this swipe file of email messages prepared so I could say, okay, I haven't heard back from these four people let me send them email number two a week later, email number three, and just take them through that sequence. So I ensure I'm having multiple touches and it might be, oh, they were on vacation for a month. They got back to the office. They check their inbox and they see, oh, Kai emailed me four days ago and it's part of a thread. I can see he's providing value here. Okay. Yeah. Let me respond back and say, oh, hey, thanks for following up. Uh, let's schedule a time to chat or, oh, it's not a good fit. But by repeatedly following up, we guarantee or we Increase the probability that the prospect engages with our messages, sees them, and replies back. If we only send a single message, it's so easy for people to just say, oh, I'll get to it soon. And then it becomes email number 300 in their inbox and we'll never get a reply.
1: But your your follow-ups are not – I mean, so I'm bad at responding to email. I would say sometimes, but it's often. And so people will email me again. Did you get my message? I'm forwarding it to you again just in case. Now, it is, that is guaranteed to boil my blood. And so it's not something I want to do. So are you, you are not suggesting that we say, Hey, bozo effectively, right? Like you didn't respond to my first message. So here it is again. What, what's different about your first and second messages?
3: Great, great question. Yeah, I absolutely abhor the did you get my last message or did you get that thing I sent you style of follow up. It adds no value. It doesn't provide anything for the recipient. It's, it's as low value as possible. What I focus on is value added follow up. And so, similar to Jonathan's points about hey, I reviewed activity streams, I'm sending a relevant article or sending something relevant. In every follow up message, I want to send something that either provides value for the recipient hey, here's an article, here's a conference talk, here's a podcast interview I was on, or diminishes the perceived risk of responding to me. If they don't know me from Adam, they're gonna say, who's a stranger emailing me? If I follow up and say, hey, just wanted to check in on you know your SEO for the site or your system for getting referrals. By the way, here's an interview I just did, a podcast that interviewed me on that exact topic. If you wanna hear a little more about my approach or my thoughts or my systems, feel free to give a listen. So we're using the opportunity to share an additional resource as a means to make an additional touch point. And in a sense, what we're sharing to add values of McGuffin. Do we care if they listen to the podcast episode or read the article? It would be great if they did, but it serves as an opportunity to follow up and not have our follow-up just simply consist of, hey, did you get that last email I sent you? Instead, it's, hey, Reuben, uh, hey, I emailed you about, you know, optimizing your sales page. Uh, by the way, I just did a video teardown of one of my clients' pages. Here's a link for you to check it out so you could see what the process typically looks like and pick up some tips. Uh, Are you still looking for help with this? If not, that's fine. But if you are, hit reply. Just let me know. Excited to figure out if it would be a good match. So we're focused on providing more value, sharing something that would be of value to the recipient, and using that as a means to continue the outreach, to follow up effectively by adding more value to the conversation. And people respond
1: to this more positively and more often, I assume.
3: What I typically find is I'll I'll see responses on outreach campaigns on email number two or three more often than email number one, partly because email number one, it's easy to shuffle it to the bottom of the inbox. Once we demonstrate that we're willing to follow up, we're separating ourselves from the 90% of people that never follow up. And so it's easy for somebody to say, oh, they're serious about this. Beyond that, by including something of value, here's a sample chapter of a thing. Here's an article. Here's a podcast episode. We demonstrate our knowledge, our authority about the topic and move that needle even further to them saying, oh, you know your stuff. Let me get in touch. I think it's a similar application to Jonathan's implementation on his LinkedIn profile of laser-focused positioning. We're adding more value. So somebody who sees Jonathan's initial message and then clicks through says, oh, wow, Jonathan really knows his stuff. I should reply in email follow-up, we don't have necessarily the benefit of them clicking through and getting that same experience, but we do have the ability to follow up and say, "Oh, hey, here's some more information. Here's something of value. Here's something that will teach you something," and that can incentivize the follow up or move them closer to uh, uh, replying to us.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm bad at the email follow up thing. I've, I've flirted with it. I just barely barely tried it, and it didn't. Uh... It felt un not unnatural. it felt forced, I guess that's what it is. It felt forced to me. I was kind of like it, even though I a hundred percent agree with everything Kai just said that you know I might have missed that first one, maybe I did mean to go back and get it and 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 this person's not doing me a favor by bringing it back to my t- kind of reminding me of something that I wanted to do and <clears throat> i I've just never had a great Uh, never been, uh, I don't know. I tried it. I didn't like it. So, but I, I'm fairly certain that it would work. So I don't know what, I don't know what my resistance is there.
3: I've often seen the resistance around uncertainty around what to say that will actually provide value. And uh, it's, it's one of those things I think where as the person sending the outreach emails, we tend to grade ourselves more harshly than, We would if we were the person receiving the outreach email. And so sending something of value just to stimulate the conversation, it could be a a three sentence email. Hey, here's an interview I did about, you know, the change, like the mobile credit unions are going the way of newspapers. What does that mean for your mobile credit union? Mm -hmm. Hey, if you want to chat about any of the topics in the episode, love to da 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 da. But understanding where and how you could provide more value. I think that often comes from the market research and that exploration you're doing right now by having more conversations with people in your target market. You understand, Oh, they read these articles or listen to these shows or attend these conferences. Now you can build up a swipe file of resources relating to that. And so when it comes time to follow up, it's easy to draw on things, you know, that people will be interested in. There was a wonderful CRM a few years ago. Uh, I think it's contactually that's now focused on the real estate market, but they in app were very focused on, well, build up a swipe file of materials you could share with the prospects that you're following up with so it's easy to say oh hey kai here's an article that i think you'd like click article from list you've gathered previously and it removes that friction it's it's uh yeah it's really focused on understanding your target market understanding what information they would value and having a small swipe file of that information to share with them to nudge that conversation forward or to further stimulate that conversation
2: yeah, that that's a good idea. And I even have that in fact because I when I see stuff that would be of interest to that market, I collect it all in a social media scheduler. Mhm. It's not like integrated or anything, but I do have, you know, it's essentially a swipe file. And I think the thing as 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 I was thinking about that, I think the thing that bugs me about it is the is the potential to exude a sense of desperation by continually following up. And that doesn't, that doesn't map very well to premium services, like in my mind. So like desperation is not a, it's, it's a deal killer instantly. So, uh, it's, but I'm not saying that you couldn't do it in a way that didn't feel desperate, but it, I think that's probably the thing that scared me off of it. But if I really just sort of took my own advice about, uh, I don't want to say never asking for the sale, but just not being salesy and just being like, Hey, this is a thing that you, maybe you saw it, but if you didn't, you should really check it out because I noticed your app has this, you know, something very specific and mm-hmm. just keep doing it. Here's an example. Here's an example. Mm-hmm. Okay. I actually just did this. So someone I've had a um, couple conversations with, sent in a proposal, they got sticker shock. I said, okay, that's cool. You know, when, when, at some point, it's probably too early for me to be involved in the process. At some point, if it does become a priority for the entire organization, then it might make sense. But I, I keep in touch with these people and, and uh, uh, I don't know if I want to tell this story on the show. It might be a little, might be outing them a little too bit much, but let's just say that, that uh, I recognized a, an ongoing problem that was pretty glaring in their, mar- in their marketing. And I just used it on an opportunity to ping my contact again, who is sort of related to the marketing area. And I was like, um, you know, I don't know if you guys are getting a good response to this campaign. I hope you are, but if you're not, you might want to look at X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. because it was really, it was really bad. And you know, they're just, they were, they were seeing everything from their point of view and not seeing it from their, uh, a customer's point of view whatsoever, and mm-hmm. I would be willing to bet that it was a very low converting campaign because of this and it could be obviously it could be wrong, and I phrased it very very delicately, but I was like, you know if you are having any problems getting uh you know calls to action executed here, then these are the things that as a customer basically it struck me as off the thing mm-hmm. um so you know, did I, did I try and resuscitate our deal that they passed on? No, didn't even mention it.
3: Right. But it becomes a very nice touch point. It keeps you top of mind. It shows that you're providing value. I love sort of lost leave follow up like that just as a way to say like, oh, hey, I saw a thing you're doing. Congratulations. Or, oh, hey, exactly in this case. Oh, hey, I saw a thing. Hey, there's a thing you might want to consider about this just as an FYI. And It provides more value. It provides an opportunity to keep in touch with them. And as the project or as the company moves forward, they in three, six, 12 months might say, we really need an expert on this. Oh, Jonathan sent us over some great information. Let's get in touch with him. I think it's a great way to keep nurturing Mm post-proposal.
2: Yeah, he's thinking about this. We're not even a client and he's thinking about this.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, Jumping back a thread to follow up. There's a wonderful Chet Holmes quote from Ultimate Sales Machine where he says how value, something to the lines of how valuable could what you're selling or the service you're pitching be if you aren't willing to follow up or if you aren't willing to talk about it more than once. And that really crystallized the importance of follow up in my mind to your point of first and foremost, we have to believe that our service offerings or what we're selling provides value. Well, we have to accept that first. We have to know in our heart that what we're doing provides value. I think the second half of it is if what we're doing honestly and truly provides value, if we aren't willing to follow up a second, a third, a fourth time, if we aren't willing to continually demonstrate that value, how valuable could it really be?
2: Yeah, Alan Weiss says the first sales to yourself. So, but the, the, I think the flip side to that, because you're right, the thing about it is that the person you're emailing might not be, so like, you can believe that your thing is a value. I believe that mm-hmm. my stuff is a value to particular people, not to everybody. In fact, even inside the credit union space, it's going to be a subsegment of a subsegment that really stands to benefit or get a positive ROI out of hiring me. So it, so the, I think the thing, part of the thing, you know, I send out an email, especially if it's one of these ones that's um, a little bit more where I'm asking for a, some kind of conference, you know, not salesy, but saying, Hey, I noticed X, Y, and Z that X, Y, and Z is something that I, I help with you guys be an ideal client for me. Uh, What about jumping on a phone call and seeing for a good fit? If you don't want to, that's totally cool. And they don't get back to me. I'm like, well, they're probably not like my brain is like, okay, they're not one of the ones that's a good fit instead of they didn't read the email or they are planning to respond to the email, but they haven't gotten around to it yet. So, uh that's when I start to be like, okay, I tried, they're not, they're not a good fit or they don't think they are, which is the same thing. And I'm just going to drop it. But I know I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't, because I do know that until I get a no, like if I get a no, fine, I'll do exactly what you said. All right. That's totally cool. Uh, why did you guys, I'm curious why you guys passed. Are you doing this some other way or you, it's just not a priority? Did
1: you do that? And that's when you get super a no, valuable. When you get a no, do you ask um, mm-hmm. why, why yeah. is this not appropriate? Mm-hmm same
2: interesting and how often do people respond then always yeah i mean if i i mean if i send a proposal and somebody passes you better believe i'm going to find out why
1: no proposal is different I, though from just like you know email emailing someone on linkedin hey are you interested no response fine you can follow up but at a response of yes great you can follow up but a response of no to follow up what do you say like oh you're saying it's not appropriate what was not appropriate about it I, i'm not sure how to Make it not sound defensive or offensive.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in in the LinkedIn context, it's a little more chatty, so they'll usually tell me why when they give me the no. But I honestly, I haven't, I haven't been that. It's, the word pushy is wrong, but I've been more, um, uh diffuse. I don't know what the word is. It's like it's like on LinkedIn, I'm just like trying to start conversations, uh, find find places, find ways that I can help people mm-hmm. by trying to get to know them a little bit and then pointing them in a, a new direction or or pointing something out they might not know, but just being helpful. And then when it, so I'm not really, usually, usually when I'm doing a sales year, I'm struggling with the terms here because I'm trying to give an impression of like, like when i send an email to somebody it's kind of like kai describes i basically try to do exactly what kai does which is have that sort of um that sort of like look ask for the no i'm just trying to see if we're a good fit here i have this capability you know i i i can set a broken leg you might have a broken leg i can set it for you if you have a broken leg you know it, it, if there's if there's somebody out there that has a broken leg then um they're probably happy to jump on the phone with me. Uh, but if somebody, if somebody, I can't think of, I haven't gotten a no. I, I haven't gotten a no on this campaign. I've either gotten silence or yeah, let's jump on the phone. Mm-hmm. So in, in, I, I don't know. I would ask.
3: In my case, when I do encounter the no, it's typically saying, hey, I completely understand that. Hey, Can you let me understand? Is it, and I might go as specific as saying, Is it that this isn't a problem you're currently experiencing or is it that you are experiencing this but already have a plan in place or already have somebody working on it just to get clarity on like, oh, are they saying no because they in fact do not have a broken leg or are they saying no because they have two doctors on staff to help with all the broken legs that they encounter? I think that focusing it that way, is it a mismatch in the problem I assumed you have or is it that you've already internally solved this problem? is a nice way to explore, hey, you said no. Why exactly is that? Tell me a little more without making it be accusatory or putting ourselves on the defensive. Instead, it could just be, hey, tell me how, oh, okay, you're solving this problem. Tell me a little more about how you're solving it. And I've been doing this often in uh, outreach campaigns I've been running and sales conversations. Whenever I encounter that no, I want to understand what that objection is. It, It might be we don't have enough time. It might be we already have somebody who's handling this for us. But by uncovering that objection, we're able to I think improve our entire outreach process
2: yeah i got I was on uh, Tim Grawl's list uh, he's a super interesting guy that helps people launch books to bestseller lists, uh, you know, like launch a book like on the bestseller list, and I was on a some campaign for a product he was selling, and then after I didn't buy it, he the, you know the campaign went on to like automatically say, "Hey, notice you didn't buy a thing. um would you mind sharing a little bit about about why you didn't and I typed a book into that reply, like I typed no no pun intended because the situation I was in i'm I was just so sure like I love his stuff, and I think he's great, but the timing just was not right for me to buy that. It was just I would have bought it, it would have sat in a folder. And I was like, and I wanted him to know because uh, I mean, I don't know him, but I just dig his stuff. Like I, you know, and I was like, gee, I kind of feel bad that I didn't buy it because Mm -hmm. he's given me a lot of valuable insights. I'm not using any of them yet because the timing's not right. And so the email back was like, you know, this is the situation I'm in. You tell me when is the best time for me to reach back out to you? Because when I do hire someone to do this, it is definitely going to be you. Mm -hmm. So when, when is the best time for an author to engage with this service? So I I think that if people, I think like Reuven, a lot of your, a lot of your, um, the line of questioning is very like us against them. Like it feels like, like you feel like people are automatically going to be defensive against whatever kind of, uh, communication you send their way. But it's funny because you're like super personable, you know, like maybe the top one percentile of people I know are super personable, really know how to communicate with people. You're stand up in front of people and teach them all day long. Just be that way. And I think if you reach out to people with this genuine, the word genuine comes up a lot for me when I'm talking about this. If you genuinely want to help somebody and you put that out there they're going to feel it. And when, you know, when you get down to some tactical thing like, Oh, how come you said, no, they're going to tell you, you know, because they didn't, you know, just because an email is unsolicited, it doesn't mean it's spam.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. You're right. At the same time, I think while I was doing this sort of reaching out to to companies in Belgium, um, sort of thinking about it and doing, it, I think I got one or two of these messages from, Software companies, or you know, I don't know, software software companies being generous, I guess, but these offshore development agencies. And I thought to myself, oh my God, this is how I sound, right? They didn't pay any attention to what I do or what I'm interested in or what my expertise are. They're just going to basically, you know, spam everyone they can, hoping for uh, one hit in a large group. And what you guys are saying, and and it's it's still a little hard for me to believe. I mean, I trust you. And I realize that you guys have both had success in this beyond anything I could have imagined. So I just need to sort of trust and go with it. But it still feel like, feels like, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't get unsolicited good messages in LinkedIn. I get unsolicited
3: bad messages. Um, and so 99.99% oh, are terrible.
2: Yeah, they're almost all bad. So when you do a good one, they stand out.
3: Fair enough. Fair
2: enough.
1: No, I'm totally going to try this then.
2: I almost yeah. when I'm writing one, I almost want I, I'm almost thinking like because I do sometimes it takes a few minutes to like, okay, how am I gonna uh how am I gonna tra- and then eventually I'll be like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna send this like I'm their best friend. You know, like not no preamble, nothing, just as if we are like just when they see it, the form of it makes them think it's someone they're friends with that sent it. Wow, Because it's not all formal and whatnot. You know, I want it to be professional and have a a lighthearted tone, but professional and very polite, depending on, you know, if if I'm reaching out to like a luminary, I'm probably going to be a little bit uh, like OMG, huge fan. You know, I just, I can't believe I'm even emailing you or whatever. But usually if for people who I want to be, you know, that, that'd be, if I was going after like a Seth Godin to be a guest on a podcast episode, but if I'm going out after, uh, if, if I'm trying to reach out to someone who I think might make a good client or could educate me about the industry in a way that would help me get good clients and be more effective for my existing clients, I'm probably just going to be like, Hey, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, if you didn't, it's really worth your time, whole thing. And then be like, wait a second, do I? wait, do I know this guy? I think it seems like I know this guy, but, <laughs> you know, not make a big deal out of it. All right.
1: I'm definitely going to try this out. Um, any last words before we go into picks? Uh,
3: uh, one thing I'd add in is, like you pointed out, like the average is so low. The the type of spam most people receive through LinkedIn message or through terrible, terrible mass scale outreach that, By being slightly better than the already terrible average, you stand out. So it doesn't need to be perfect. It's looking at, let's say, the offshore development teams that are sending you unsolicited linking messages and saying, okay, what just like sets off the filters inside of me about this message? Let me do the opposite. Oh, it's not personalized. They aren't using my name. It's not relevant to me at all. Well, let's address those within our messages and make sure that it is personalized and is relevant to the current situation. It does make sense for them as a recipient. And I often take a bad outreach message I receive as an opportunity for learning. Okay, what are they doing? If this is the average, what are they doing wrong? What could I improve on? And how could I be 10, 20, just 30% better than this already low average?
1: Um, Okay, with that, Kai, got any picks for us.
0: This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start... At one gigabyte of RAM for five dollars a month. You can get your servers in any of their ten data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, longview, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash show.
3: Absolutely. I have uh, three today. The first is I saw the new Blade Runner last night, and if uh, by the time this airs, Listeners have not yet seen the new Blade Runner. Please do, do go see the new Blade Runner. It is very, very good. Two, two thumbs way, way, way up. Uh, two re- other resources I'd recommend, or two resources I'd recommend. The first would be freeoutreachcourse.com. It's a free course of mine on how to write outreach emails that so get replies, and outreachblueprint.com. It's my book on how to implement your first outreach marketing campaign and get replies to your emails. So those would be my three picks uh, and strong, strong recommendation for the new Blade Runner. Excellent.
1: Jonathan, what you got for us
3: this
2: week? Yeah, I'm excited to hear that about Blade Runner. It's one of my favorite movies. So uh, picks for this week. Um, I do a uh, group coaching chat, sort of a, a live webinar where I answer um, my students' questions. And I often get asked, what is the webcam I'm using to do that? Because it's super clear and you're not staring at my nose. and Everyone always wants to know what webcam that is. So my first pick is the Logitech HD Pro webcam. It's a C920 which is the model number, and it's about eighty bucks, which isn't the cheapest thing in the world. But if you it, you know if you uh, do care about your appearance on video, then it is a really good investment for the money. It's it's great. <laughs> uh, another thing that I would like to call people's attention to is a email course I have about setting up your first productized service and it's at the comically long url how to build your first productized service.com and you can go there and learn about what productized services are how they differ from uh, regular services what the benefits are how to do a product description how to write a sales page how to price it so on and so forth and uh, it's uh, it recently went live about a week and a half ago and people are really digging it. So I'm confident, dear listeners, saying that you will enjoy it. Uh so that's how to build your first productized service dot com. Shocking. Shocking
1: that domain was not taken yet.
2: <laughs> it's not easy.
1: <laughs> um okay. So I've got one pick for this week. As uh many listeners might know, I'm a bit of a uh you know, China, crazy, crazy about China, always, uh, learning whatever I can about the country and so forth. And I've been reading this great book called The Beautiful Country and the Middle Kingdom. By the way, the way you say America in Chinese is beautiful country, and the way you say China in Chinese is middle kingdom. So this is about the relationship between America and China from 1776 to the present. And if you think that, oh. um, Chinese-American relations are new, complex, different now. They've been complex for centuries. As an example, if I'm getting the date right, in 1840, 30% of manufactured goods in America were made in China. So it's really a, a long, fascinating relationship, and it has to do with religion and culture. And each side sort of seen the other as a model for what they could be and wanting to sort of get something out of a relationship. So I've definitely been enjoying this book, as I've been reading through it. It's a little on the expensive side on the Kindle, um, at $20, as opposed to the usual cheaper one. So I guess this is an outgrowth of the fight that um, Amazon had with various publishers. But for anyone interested in history, definitely, definitely interesting and useful. Um... And that, oh, actually, now that I see uh, what, what the others have been putting in the Skype chat. So I will just mention also I have started doing a group coaching for trainers. And by the way, this is an idea stolen 100% from Jonathan and also from Philip. Um, so if you are interested in training, specifically the business of training, how to teach better, how to propose better, how you do pricing, how to do exercises, anything that has to do with training. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes and you can join up and we have a group discussion every two weeks and it should be, I say this should because we'll be starting in a few minutes after I say these words, but uh, it should be great, great fun and hopefully useful for anyone interested in the training world. And I think that brings us to the end of the show. Jonathan Hyde, thank you as always. Thank you dear listeners and we'll be back next week on The Freelancer Show.
0: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN.